0: Hey, everybody, good morning and welcome to Christ Community Chapel. Welcome those of you over in East Hall, those of you tuning in. Welcome. Great to have you. Great to be with you. Uh, I miss you when I'm gone, although I was on uh, vacation, I had a wonderful vacation, so I didn't miss you that much. <laughs> but it's always good to be back. A couple exciting things that are going on uh, right now. You can tell uh, that here at the Hudson campus, we are geared up for vacation Bible camp. Uh, we uh, have almost 1,100 kids signed up already, and we expect probably a couple hundred more. Uh, which reminds me, if, if there are like 400 of you that have volunteered to help. And I just want to tell you that I love you for that. Thank you for volunteering. We could use about 50 more people. And so if you have time this week and can volunteer, you can sign up in the atrium. Uh, but I, I want to ask you to do two things. One is if you have kids, bring them. They will love it. I don't know of another church that does vacation Bible camp quite like we do. Uh, but also, I want you to ask you to pray. As you drive by this place, as you think about what's going on this week, pray that the kids that are here will love it. But more than that, pray that the kids that are here will leave knowing that Jesus loves them. That's our goal, all right? The second exciting thing is that Robbie Zacharias Ministries has asked us to host the Remind Conference. That happens August 3rd and 4th. It's a Friday night, all day Saturday. The Remind Conference is designed to strengthen and encourage the faith of uh, young people from high school to young adults. So between the ages of like 15 and 30. And what we're going to do is we'll have, we will host some of the best minds and defenders of Christianity in the whole world will be here that uh, day and a half. So if you are between the ages of 15 and 30, don't miss it. You could ask any question. You can just explore your faith. Uh, here are some of the people that will be here. Robbie Zacharias will be here. Uh, Vincent Joe Vitali will be here. Abdu Murray, Sam Alberry, and Lecrae will be uh, talking with uh, Robbie and also will be performing in concert. Here, we have 900 tickets, so if you're between those ages, make sure you pay attention and uh, come. And then there, uh, we will also open the block, which is our student ministries building for a simulcast for anybody who's over 30 (laughs) who wants to participate. It's kind of reverse, You know, usually we do it here and then we simulcast for students. It's just going to be the the reverse. So pay attention to that. We're really excited. It's going to be awesome. All right. This is June. Which means next week is Father's Day. And uh, I should tell you, you know, on Mother's Day here at CCC, uh, as everybody was leaving, all the ladies were able to choose between picking up a flower or a chocolate-covered Oreo. Father's Day. Wait till you see what we have for dads. All right, I can't tell you. It will will be memorable, though. It's going to be good. But we have designated June to be Man Month here at CCC. And the reason is because men are in trouble. Uh, As a man, we have trouble figuring out what it means to be a man and and love Jesus. Part of that is because we have feminized Jesus. And we wanted to spend a month trying to cast a vision for what a man could be, should be, what the world needs a man to be because the world needs more than a few good men. The world needs bunches of good men. And I hope you know that during this month, even though we'll be addressing men, virtually everything that we say will be applicable to everyone, all right? Let me start like this. This past week, kind of in honor of uh, D-Day, June 6th, I was uh, re-watching some episodes of the HBO miniseries, Band of Brothers which chronicles the exploits of Easy Company from the 506th uh, Regiment of the 101st Airborne through World War II, from Normandy all the way to where they capture the Eagle's Nest, which is Hitler's hideaway in the Alps. And there are a couple things I noticed. One was in the episode that I watched, I think on Wednesday, how many times an officer would look at somebody and just say, you, follow me follow me. And it struck me that every man has somebody following him. You have somebody following you. The best all-time anti-smoking commercial I ever saw was probably three decades ago, and I still remember it. Not a word was spoken. In this commercial, you see a man walking and a, a little toddler walking after him, and he, uh, he kicks the leaves like that, and you see the little boy look at his dad, and then he kicks the leaves. Then the dad reaches down, he picks up a stone, and he skips it across a pond. And you see the little boy look for a stone, pick it up, and throw it into the water. And then the man sits down, leans up against a tree, and takes out a cigarette, puts it in his mouth, and he puts the pack right by himself. And then uh, the commercial ends with the little boy picking up the pack of cigarettes and looking at the pack of cigarettes. It's not a question whether somebody is following you or not. just a question of where you're leading them. But somebody's following you. That was one thing that struck me. Second thing that struck me when watching Band of Brothers was just the flat-out courage that these guys had to go running into a hail of bullets, whatever. And that's part of why I watch it, because I love, there's something inside of me that wants to think of myself as being courageous, that if I ever got the opportunity, that I would be one who wouldn't cower, but would actually go. And you do too. I've never met a single person, man or woman, who came to me and said, you know what? I'd like to be a little more cowardly. That's what I'm looking for. I want to be more full of fear. All of us want to go, you know what? I want to be courageous. And there are times in all of our lives where we need courage. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Hebrews chapter 12, and then I'm going to read the passage, which are the first 11 verses of Hebrews chapter 12, and then I'll give you the three points about courage for today. This is what it says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It's for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons, for what son is there whom the father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you're illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we've had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For this moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. This is God's word, and it's true. Okay, three points about courage. What is it? Why do we need it? How do we get it? What exactly is courage? Why do we need courage? And how do we get courage? First, what exactly is courage? Courage is the strength to do something or say something that goes against your nature, at least part of your nature. Think of any act of courage. You have a a firefighter running into a burning building, somebody stepping in front, putting somebody behind them when a threat comes. When uh, Karen and I were first married, probably in the first couple of years. We were out walking one day, and we were holding hands, and we still walk and hold hands, but I was holding your left hand and my right hand, and we were walking in kind of an unfamiliar area, and um, I heard something kind of in the distance. You know how your brain, when you hear a sound, you kind of go, huh, what is that? And you're trying to identify it. And so I was walking, I was going, huh, there's a, what is that? It was a jingling, and it wasn't like a, like a low, it was a metal jingling. It wasn't like, a, like a, a, a low or a high jingling. It was a, a lower, stronger jingling. And so my, this way my brain worked. Walking, I was going, what is that? What is that sound? It's a chain. It's a chain. It's a dog. It's a big dog. Like that, like that, that fast, right? And so I realized that there's this big dog that must be coming up right behind us. So I turned to face the dog, but I turned this way, which meant that I put Karen between me and the big dog, right? <laughs> So I actually gave her a chance to show courage, you know, if you think about it. I mean, I've been looking for a big dog now for 35 years to try to redeem myself. That's the, it's the opposite of courage, right? Courage is when you have a commitment to someone or something that supersedes your own desire for comfort or for security, for pleasure, or for happiness. That's why courage is so hard. It's also why you can identify the moments when you're called to be courageous because when you feel like you should do something or say something that cuts against your deep desire for comfort, for security, for pleasure, or for happiness, chances are you're in a moment where you have a chance to show courage. Courage is not fearlessness. Fearlessness is stupidity. Courage, in order to have courage, you have to know exactly What you're committing to that supersedes your basic desires. And you have to choose the higher point. That's what courage is. Now the question is, why do we need it? Look at verse 1. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The reason we need courage is because life is a race. It's a race. The, the, the Greek word that's used there is the, is the word agon, where we get the word agony. Right? If you've ever run an endurance race, you know there is pain involved. You know, Christianity, true Christianity is never guilty of false advertising. You know, the Bible says over and over again that life is going to be filled with difficulty and hardship and suffering and pain. All right? One of the things I love about, one of the many things I love about Christianity is that uh, it rings true in my day-to-day life. It's how I experience life. It's how you experience life. When the, when the Bible talks about things like sin and grace and forgiveness, it's the way it really works. And here I, had, I was talking to somebody not too long ago, and they were saying, why did, God, why did Jesus have to die on a cross? Why did he have to suffer so much? If God wanted to forgive us, why didn't he just forgive us? And I asked him, you ever been hurt deeply by someone and tried to forgive them? And he thought for a minute and he said, yeah, I have. I said, how'd that feel? He said, it hurt like hell. <laughs> I thought, That's and, I, and I told him, Jesus would agree, right? Because forgiveness is not pain-free. When you are called to forgive somebody in your real life, when you have to forgive somebody, it hurts. When Jesus, when God chose to forgive you, it hurt. That's why the cross. Same thing's true with suffering. What the Bible teaches about suffering is the way we experience it in our day-to-day lives. and it's a, There's a nuance kind of to the way that Christianity describes suffering that is absent from other worldviews. There are two ways that you have to look at suffering if you are going to have courage. You have to see it both ways. The first way to see suffering is that it's not natural. It's not the way things are supposed to be. And we all feel that instinctively, even though we literally came into this world through pain. We came out of the womb screaming, right? But still, every time we experience pain, it's kind of a surprise. I'm walking around my house, barefoot, I stub my toe, and I'm going, are you kidding me, right? Like it's a shock. You watch somebody that you love go through excruciating pain, you can't do anything, you don't just feel helpless, you get angry. Why? Because deep down, we know this is not the way it should be. And the Bible completely agrees. The Bible says that God's original design for this world was not to include pain and suffering. God's original design for you was not for you to experience pain and suffering. When Jesus goes to John, in John chapter 11, when he goes to the grave of his friend Lazarus, he doesn't just say, hmm, these things happen. What he did was he wept, and then he bellowed. He screamed, Lazarus, come forth. There's a word in that story where it says that Jesus, before he yelled, he, he what the Greek word really means, he snorted. Like a linebacker about to make the biggest hit of his life. Don't ever feminize Jesus. So suffering is not natural. That's the first perspective you have to have on suffering. But the second is this. According to Scripture, suffering is necessary. Suffering is necessary. Because it's not just the world that's broken. You're broken. And I'm broken. And there's something that God can do with the shards of this broken world to heal the shards of brokenness in your soul and in your life. And we see it all the time. One of the longest stories in the Old Testament is the story of Joseph and his brothers. It's in Genesis, begins at Genesis chapter 37, goes all the way to Genesis chapter 50. In Genesis chapter 37, we're introduced to Joseph's family, which is a wildly dysfunctional family. Jacob, his father, has 12 sons through four different women. Jacob, spoils and, and has one child, Joseph, as the, the apple of his eye that's his idol, and it's, it's, ruining jo- it's ruining Jacob. It's about to destroy Joseph. His brothers are filled with a murderous rage and hatred. That's in, that's in chapter 37. Chapter 50, we find Jacob a completely different man at peace. We find Joseph mature and gracious, and his brothers healed of their hatred and their murderous rage. And in between chapter 37 and chapter 50 is a whole lot of pain and suffering and hardship. This is really important. How does anybody get stronger? If I take this barbell and I start to do this, am I getting stronger or weaker? Uh, You guys don't know? Uh, It's kind of interesting, isn't it? Because I'm getting stronger, I think, but my arm feels like it's getting weaker. And it is. It's getting weaker and weaker. But after four services in two days, I'm going to be a beast. (laughs) Muscles only get stronger if you put them into stress. So how do you get stronger? This is true. Your faith will never grow unless it's tested. Your commitment will never grow unless it's challenged. Your patience will never grow unless it's taxed. And your courage will never grow unless it's threatened. That's just true. Right? And the thing about courage is we desperately need it. Right? But we try to stay away from it. And if you, don't, if you don't know that this world is going to have hardship and difficulty, the, the goal of your life is to have a trouble-free life and to have comfort and pleasure all the time, then when hardship and suffering comes into your life, and it will, it will wipe you out. And you will do the exact opposite of courage. You will run. And I see it all the time. You will run away from things that are good. You will run away from your family. You will run away from God. You will run away from the church. You will run because you did not see it coming. So how do we get courage? How do we get it? Verse 2 of chapter 12, it says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. starts out looking to Jesus. In the New International Version, It says, fixing your eyes on Jesus. I like that term, fixing your eyes, because in English, there's two meanings. You can fix your eyes by putting on glasses and correcting the way you see. You can also focus on something and fix your eyes on something. I want to use both those. If we're going to have, the way you get courage is you have to fix your eyes, at least in the way that you see you. You have to see yourself in a different way than you probably see yourself right now. When I first read this passage, I read the first 11 verses, but we've only talked about the first two. Let me uh, read, beginning of verse 5, just a few verses. It says, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves, chastises every son whom he receives, It's for discipline that you've had to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you're illegitimate, not sons. Besides this, we've had earthly fathers who disciplined us. We respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. Do you hear that? Uses the word discipline nine times in seven verses. You know, when we think about discipline, at least when I use that word in English, we almost always think about punishment. If I say, how how do you discipline your kids? You're going to think through how you punish them. But that word in the Greek is the word pedia, where we get pediatrics. And a pediatrician isn't just interested in correcting a child. A pediatrician is all about a child flourishing, giving them everything they need to flourish. I just got back from vacation, right? I took, uh, we took our whole family, we had our three kids, our four grandkids all in the same house, right, so there was a lot of laughter, a lot of playing, a lot of flourishing, a lot of correcting, right? Why correcting? Because they're children. All right, my grandkids range from 20 months to nine years, right? And children need correcting. What this says is that you're like a child you feel like you're an adult. I mean, we feel like adults so we are not children because we're at the top of the food chain. But well, I was watching my four grandkids one time and they couldn't tell I was watching them and they thought they were by themselves out on the porch, right? They act differently. Would well, the two older ones act differently when they think they're at the top of the food chain? Right? And then all of a sudden I come out, it's like, ooh, you know, back to, the, back to where they really are. Same thing with us, Right? And when, when you have to correct a child, why do you correct your children? Because you want them to flourish. And you know that if you don't correct them, they won't flourish. Right, so if, you, if your child lies and you don't correct them, then you know that later on it's just going to get worse and they won't flourish. So you correct them. But when you correct them, what goes on in their little heads? No matter what you do, whether you say, okay, no dessert, you gotta go to your room, or you say no video games, two things go on in a, little, in a kid's head. One, that's unfair, I don't care what you do. Okay, what kind of you know, punishment you mete out. I've never seen a kid go, hmm, okay, yeah, I think that's good, that'll probably keep me from lying. Yeah, perfect, mom, you did great, that's awesome, right? No way. First thing they say, I can't believe you did, that's unfair, unfair. The second thing is that you become the enemy. The lying is not the enemy. What they need to do in order to flourish, that's not the enemy. They didn't even think about that. They just think, you did this to me. Right? You, you're the, I see that people do that with God all the time. Something happens in their life, suffering, hardship, difficulty, and they say to God, that's unfair. It's unfair. And instead of trying to figure out what it's doing in their life, what God is trying to do to help them flourish, they get angry. I think it was John Newton who wrote Amazing Grace, who said that everything God brings into your life is necessary and nothing is necessary that He withholds. Think of the the story of Joseph, right? Joseph is being spoiled, rotten, and he loves his life at that time. And he is headed for absolute destruction but to be sold into slavery? Really? To be thrown into prison? that seemed unfair. And yet in chapter 50, Joseph is the one who tells his brothers, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And when he says God meant it for good, he wasn't saying God meant it for good for everybody else. He was saying God meant it for good for me. For me. If we're going to respond with courage to the things that happen in our lives, we have to see ourselves differently. You have to see yourself as a child with a father who wants you to flourish, and every single thing that happens to you can be used to make you flourish. The second thing says, Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. <laughs> Again, that's the way things work in our lives. How does anybody stick to a diet? or train for a triathlon, or go through rehab after a a joint replacement. How does anyone study to get an advanced degree? You look to the joy. You say, you answer the why question a thousand times, why no dessert? Because I want to fit in my clothes, right? Why run? Because I want to finish the race. Why study? Because I want to be a doctor. Why rehab? Because I want to walk without a limp. Answer the why question. What's the purpose of your life? What if the purpose of your life isn't pleasure or happiness? What if the purpose of your life is glory? What if you were created to to inhabit the very presence of God What if God wants to turn you from what you are right now into the image of his son Jesus so you look more like Jesus? What will it take to go from here to there? Probably a ton. And you may be happy as a lark right now and not be even close to what God has in store for you or wants for you, and you're not flourishing. When it says this, that Jesus who for the joy set before him endured the cross. What was the answer to Jesus' why question? When he's hanging on the cross, he said, why am I doing this? Why am I allowing people to nail my hands and my feet to this wood? You know what his answer to the why question was? You. It was you. When Jesus asked himself, why am I doing this? It was your face he saw. And if that's true, then when you are struggling and trying to do something that goes against your pleasure, your comfort, your security, your happiness, then surely you can look and have his face be the one you look at and say, That's who I serve, that's who I'm becoming, that's what I want to be. I'll finish with this. You can't choose your times to be courageous. Those times choose you. I've been looking for a big dog for 35 years. I try to redeem myself. There'll be a time, and you may be going through it right now, where you know God is calling you to do something or to say something or to act in such a way that cuts against everything inside of you that wants comfort and security and happiness and pleasure, and yet that's your opportunity to be courageous, to forgive, to stick it out, to endure, whatever. And when you do, you become more like Jesus. To the degree we're able to fix our eyes, the way we see ourselves, the way we see the things that happen in our lives to the degree we're able to fix our eyes on Jesus as the author and perfecter of our faith is the, the degree we will experience courage and perseverance when we need it the most, and we will become the men that the world desperately needs and that we want to be. Man month, man up, transform 2018. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we uh, come to you and uh, you know my heart. You know, I love uh, comfort and security and, and pleasure and happiness as much as anybody. And if you do not do something in my life, I will stay right where I am. So I pray that you will allow me to trust you. I pray that for all of us, that you will give us eyes to see the opportunities that you bring into our lives to trust you and to do things that are courageous. And when we do, I pray that you will give us a vision of what you are doing in us and for us, and we will trust you in everything, that your desire is for us to flourish and to be what you created us to be. Make us that, I pray. Thanks for your grace. Thanks for making us your joy and the answer to the why question for you. We pray this in your name. Amen.